Cyberfleet that had been poised to invade Earth had been destroyed. An entire army of Cybermen, half-human, emotionless machine creatures bent on conquest, had been blasted into atoms. A short while later, the Doctor, with his friends Jamie and Zoe, had departed from Earth in the TARDIS. There, on the scanner, look! It's beautiful! Like a firework display. The aftermath of destruction, Zoe. You mean that fleet of Cybermen is still blowing up? It was a gigantic invasion fleet, Jamie. That kind of thing doesn't just vaporise in the wink of an eye. Uh, <clears throat> now then, um... Doctor? Uh, yes? Doctor, what's that? What? Oh, I, I thought you knew. Uh, these are the directional controls of the TARDIS. You see, if I... No, no, up there on the scanner. Aye, looks like a shooting star. Oh, oh my word. Well, what is it, Doctor? Let's see if I can just... Uh, uh, ah, that's it. I've increased the magnification factor. There. Oh, it's a spaceship. Oh, a Cyberman spaceship. Aye, and it's not been blown up. No, no, it, it's, it's getting away. Well, where's it going? Oh, Doctor, you don't think it's going to attack the Earth again, do you? I, I don't think so, no, but... No good, that's for sure. <clears throat> right, uh, oh, no, you're not going after it, are you? You don't have any choice, Jamie. Armed with the knowledge of how we defeated them, those Cybermen out there might be planning a counterattack. No, no, we must find out where they're going and, and what they're up to. Oh, we you never learn how to fly this thing properly. That's not me. But then what's happening? I, I feel as if I'm being crushed. The cybership must have spotted us as they went into hyperdrive. They deployed some sort of, of countermeasures. A warp distortion field. Can, can we break free? I, I, I don't know. Oh, dear. had arrived at the bottom of a green, rolling hill of long golden grass under a deep blue sky and warm sunlight. Nearby, there were signs that the land had once been cultivated. Neat stone walls divided the alien countryside into symmetrical fields, but the crops were overgrown, neglected. Oh! oh. 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 Ah, well, that was a rough ride, no mistake. Yes, I'm making all over. I got us here in one piece, didn't I? 
Only just. Is this where the cyber ship was going? Uh, well, uh, <clears throat> I, I'm not sure, sir. I, I'm not at all uh, sure. Oh, great. You mean we, we broke the TARDIS for nothing? It isn't broken, Jamie. Just a little... Uh, <clears throat> the, the, the worse for wear. Uh, the systems just need to, uh, <clears throat> well, uh, recalibrate. Ah, you hope. In the meantime, I, I think we should explore. But what if there are Cybermen here, Doctor? Uh, well, we should just have to be uh, very careful, shan't we? Now, come along. It's a lovely day and uh, let's enjoy the sunshine and see what we can find. Meanwhile, high up in orbit, the military scout ship Braxos had just completed its voyage from the planet Isos. On the ship's command deck, Captain Seru surveyed the main viewplate, tense, anticipating trouble. Everyone on board knew this was a potentially dangerous mission. I'm not seeing anything unusual. No, Captain. Visual planetary scan shows nothing. But we still have that faint power source trace. And still too faint to pinpoint. Uh, I'm afraid so, Captain. Very well. Very well. No sign of anything in orbit. Uh, no, Captain. Then let's go in. Prepare to breach atmosphere. Prepare to breach atmosphere. All hands, prepare to breach atmosphere. Seal all pressure doors, secure bulkheads. Thrust building to maximum burn. Setting angle of descent. Now. Execute. And as the ship's mighty engines glowed white with pure energy, the scout ship Braxos surged through the atmosphere. The crew on the command deck tensed, bracing themselves for the inevitable buffeting. Further back into the ship, the members of an elite assault force held on tight to their formidable weaponry. They had been briefed to expect trouble on this planet, and they weren't afraid to face it. Now inside planetary atmosphere. Find somewhere to put us down. Where's the main colony city? Other side of the planet, Captain. Very well. Let's make for that. Take us in low. Let's have a good look around on the way there. But... Uh, well, what is it, Enab? Well, it's just that all previous scans have shown the city to be deserted. I know. The whole damn colony disappeared five years ago. I, I realise that, Captain. But we can't afford to assume things haven't changed now. That's why we're here. Remember that. Sorry. Captain. What is it? What have you got? I'm getting a strong energy reading some way off. I think it's coming from just outside the city. The Doctor, Jamie and Zoe had just arrived on the outskirts of an enormous, towering city. Its sleek, elegant design, although clearly the product of a highly advanced technological race, had an inspirational quality. A beauty. Well, my word. What do you think of that, then? Oh, it's amazing. Amazing? What if it's packed full of Cybermen? Have you not thought of that? Do you think it could be, Doctor? Uh, I, I doubt that, Zoe. It's far too beautiful, isn't it? Uh, remember, the Cybermen have no emotions. They'd have no need for a city as beautifully sculpted as that. Then who do you think lives there, then? I have no idea, Jamie. We'd better find out, hadn't we? Uh, what is it? Look. Zoe had just trodden in something gooey and unpleasant. The Doctor and Jamie knelt to examine it, Jamie screwing up his nose in revulsion. The Doctor found a pencil in his deep pockets. He pushed it into some of the thick slime and retracted it, examining it closely. Meanwhile, Jamie began to notice that there was more of the slime around them. He tapped the Doctor's shoulder and pointed. Would you take a look at that, then? Oh, yeah. Yes, Jamie. It's, it's, it's some sort of trail. Yes, look, back up the hill. Sure enough, 
As they looked back up the hill they had descended, they could see a criss-cross pattern of glistening trails leading down towards them and onwards into the city further below. Yes. Well, I, I wonder what could have caused that. <laughs> Come on, then. Let's find out, shall we? Soon, the three friends found themselves at the very edge of the great city. It was no less impressive close up. Vast, shiny walkways stretched as far as the eye could see through the towering structures. All the buildings looked brand new, as if they were made of polished porcelain. But there wasn't a sign of any inhabitants, except for the slimy trails. Oh, oh I'm quite out of puff. Let's uh, sit down for a moment. No one about... Can't see any movement. No cars, no aeroplanes. Look, that looks like a sort of monorail line up there. Yes, look, there's a train. Yes, but it's not moving, is it? It's stopped in its tracks. Well, I must say this bench is rather comfortable, which tells us one thing at least. What's that? That this city was designed for humans. Uh, well, humanoids of some kind, certainly, so yes, but uh, where have they all gone? Do you think it might have had something to do with these slimy trails? Trails, yes. Oh, oh dear. What's the matter, Doctor? I just had a very nasty thought. What? Well, don't those slimy trails remind you of anything? Like what? Well, the sort of thing you might see in an English country garden first thing in the morning. I've never been in an English country garden. And I never had a garden, Doctor. Oh, well, I see. So, so you've never seen a slug trail, then? Slugs? But these trails are huge... Oh, no, you mean... Yes, that they've been made by some sort of giant slug. Giant slug? I don't like the sound of that, Doctor. Shh, listen. And I don't like the sound of that. Come along quickly. I, I think we can get out of here a bit before... But it was too late. Three large, glistening, leathery slug creatures, about the size of fully grown elephants, had emerged from around a street corner and were heading straight for the space-time travellers at surprising speed. Oh. oh, my word! Come on, Doctor! We've got to... Oh, no! As they turned to run, the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe spotted six more of the slugs sliding down the hill towards them, fanning out to block their retreat. There was no escape. Uh, uh, we mean you no harm. Uh, we surrender. Arching itself and rising up, the leading slug extended its sticky, brownish-green head towards the Doctor, its glistening three small antenna extending as if to look closely at him. Do, do you think it's trying to talk to you? Uh, well, I, uh, I, I, I don't know, Jane. Uh, hello. Much to the Doctor's surprise, the slug began nuzzling its head into his shoulder. Uh, I never... I, I think it wants to make friends. <laughs> oh, pretty sticky friends, if you ask me. Meanwhile, some way off from the city, the ice and spaceship Braxos was landing. Its sleek lines sparkled in the bright sun. As the engines wound down, a small door slid open at the base of the hull. Officers Enab and Alam exited the ship wearing full protective gear, carrying small scanning devices and formidable-looking sidearms. 
Atmosphere readings match those we made on approach, Captain. All safe. Proceed with preliminary investigation, Enab. Yes, Captain. Ah, that sweet air. Yeah, not bad after being cooped up in that ship. Still picking up that energy reading? Uh, yeah, towards the city. Come on, then. Let's find out what it is. Raising their scanners and keeping their weapons handy, the two officers headed off. Ahead of them, but still out of sight, lay the TARDIS. Back in the city, the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe were thoroughly enjoying themselves, riding along on the backs of the slugs. The creatures had turned out to be very friendly and helpful indeed. <laughs> they really do travel much faster than your commoner garden slugs, don't they? Yes, but where are they taking us, Doctor? I have no idea. I think they're sort of just, well, <laughs> playing. Oh, yeah. I'm beginning to feel a wee bit seasick. How do we make them stop? I suppose we could just ask them, couldn't we? Do you think that'll do any good? Um, could you stop now, please? Oh, well, that seemed to work, didn't it? Aye. Aye, it did. Doctor, do you think they can understand us? Well, in in some small way, yes, Jamie. They, They seem to pick up on what we want. Hmm, fascinating. Some sort of interspecies empathy, perhaps? Ah. Yeah. Ah. Well, uh, thank you for the ride, Mr. Slug. Oh, or is it Mrs. Slug? A bit hard to tell. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh. So, where to now, Doctor? Well, we'd better look in some of these buildings, hadn't we? Perhaps there'll be some people in there. Uh, maybe the slugs ate them all. Well, they haven't tried to eat us so far. Oh, well, maybe they're just too full from eating everyone else, huh? I, I don't think so, Jamie. Now, no, come along. Let's have a look in here. At least there still seems to be some power on, uh, enough to operate this door at any rate. <laughs> come along. As they entered the building, they saw that they were in some kind of enormous concourse. But still, it was deserted. Do you know, I, I think I know what this place is. Yes, come and look. You see? The doctor was pointing at some large rectangular ridges fashioned into a series of channels in the floor. Channels that led out of the building and as far as they could see. Just like that raised monorail line, Zoe. Except these are in the floor. That was just the elevated section you saw. This is a monorail station. Hmm, I wonder where all the trains have gone. Doctor, Zoe, over here, look. The doctor and Zoe rushed over to join Jamie. The burly Scotsman was looking at a series of what looked like closed sliding doors. They're doors, aren't they? Yes. Yes, I I believe they are, Jamie. I wonder where they lead to. Well, if this is the opening button, they're not working. Hmm. Ah, look at those symbols over the door. I think they're numbers. Yes, I, I think you're right, Zoe. I've got it. These must be lifts. Hmm, I, I wonder where they lead to. Perhaps the population of hidden underground. But hidden from what? The slugs. Jamie, those slugs were perfectly friendly. Ah, well, maybe they went underground to hide from the Cybermen. Have you thought of that? Uh, possibly, possibly. But remember, Jamie, we only saw one small ship escape from the Earth invasion force. Uh, there would hardly be enough Cybermen in that to scare the whole population of a huge city like this into hiding. So you think it would be safe to use one of these lifts if we could get it working, Doctor? Y- y- well, uh, <clears throat> uh, safe is perhaps putting it a little strongly, Zoe. 
Mm, but we do have to find out whether or not we've come to the right planet to stop those Cybermen, don't we? Hey, and what if we haven't come to the right planet? Yeah, <coughs> one problem at a time, Jamie. One problem at a time. <coughs> now, perhaps I can agitate this door control into life with some vibration from my uh, ah, ah, sonic screwdriver. The doctor produced a small, narrow metal tube from one of his baggy pockets and pointed it at the control. Suddenly, the end of the tube started to glow. <laughs> there you see. Hey, presto. Clever little gadget, isn't it? I should use that more often. Do you think it's safe to go in? Huh, looks safe enough. No, no. Wait a minute, Jamie. We don't know how long this lift has been out of service. Perhaps just to put a little foot inside first, uh, just to test. Well, I'm the lightest. I'll try. No, no, wait, sir. Wait. wait. Oh, well, that, that seems to be perfectly fine, doesn't it? Yes. There's a control panel here, Doctor. Hop in, and I'll press one of the buttons and see where... Suddenly, and without warning, the doors closed and the lift into which Zoe had just stepped plummeted downwards. Zoe! Zoe! What was that noise? That was a rather reassuring sound, Jamie. Reassuring? Oh, you're kidding me. No, 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 Jamie. That was the sound of the lift's hydraulics. That means that it came to a soft landing. It means that Zoe probably isn't hurt. You think so? Well, I I hope so, Jamie. I I hope so. Now, uh, all we have to do is is get these doors open again and and find some way of getting down to Zoe. Can I not use your wee sonic stick thing again? Yes, I'll, uh, I'll give it a try. No good, Jamie. Uh, I have to find something to wrench the doors open. Some tools, you mean? Yes, yes. Ah, th- this is a train station. There must be some sort of maintenance department somewhere. Uh, let's split up and, and search. Uh, you, you go that way. I- I'll go this. Um, good hunting. So the Doctor and Jamie headed off in opposite directions in the hope of finding tools to open the lift and rescue their friend Zoe. These readings are going wild. The source must be... There! Look! What on ISOS is that? The two ISON officers had found the TARDIS. This is Enab to Braxos. Captain Seru? Seru here. What have you found? The source of the energy spike we detected. Well? Transmitting video now. On board the ISON spaceship Braxos, Captain Seru stared in disbelief at the main viewplate. She was looking at an image of the TARDIS. It... it looks like... uh, Are you sure that is the source of the energy? We're positive, Captain. Do you think it's dangerous? It doesn't appear to be. And to be honest, Captain, I can't see how this could have anything to do with the disappearance of the colony. Get all the readings you can, then proceed to the city. I'm sending you some backup. And with that, Captain Serro terminated the communications link. Without hesitation, she turned to the arm of her chair and flipped open a panel. Underneath it was a row of red buttons. She pushed the top one and it illuminated. Further back inside the ship, the first of three fully equipped security squads received the signal from their captain. A large light on the wall flashed red. They stood to attention, flipped the safety catches off on their weapons and immediately set about disembarking from the Braxos. Deep underground, 
hundreds of feet below the monorail station, where Jamie and the doctor were still searching for tools, Zoe had just regained consciousness and had managed to push open the jammed lift doors. She had indeed had a relatively soft landing, but she'd managed to bump her head when the lift had finally come to rest. She peered out into the gloom. Up above in the monorail station, Jamie was becoming frustrated about not finding any tools. Oh, this is useless. But then he noticed something. Hey, wait a minute. Something he recognised from one of his earlier adventures with the Doctor. He didn't know the name for it, but he was looking at a set of escalators running right down into the darkness as far as the eye could see. The steps were motionless, stuck, without power. It occurred to Jamie that he might find some tools on a lower level. Gingerly, he placed his foot on the first step. It seemed safe enough, so he proceeded to take a couple of steps further down. Happy that the steps were taking his weight, he started to walk confidently downwards. When suddenly, oh, oh, no! without warning, the escalators whooshed downwards. Gears crashing and the steps flattening out so that Jamie found himself sliding down and down and down. Jamie? Jamie, was that you? Jamie? Oh, oh dear. Worried about the safety of his friend, the doctor immediately set off in the direction of where he thought the cry had come from. But he didn't get very far. Oh, my word! The doctor found himself surrounded by the ISON security team. He immediately put his hands high in the air. Uh, I surrender. Don't shoot. Who are you? What are you doing here? Well, I, I must say I'm, I'm very relieved to see that the population hasn't disappeared after all. What do you mean? I thought the place was deserted. It is deserted. Except for you. Who are you? Me? Uh, well, <clears throat> I'm the doctor. Uh, pleased to meet you. Keep your hands up. Deep underground, Zoe's eyes had become accustomed to the gloom. She could see that she was in a long tunnel and that there were monorail lines stretching off in both directions. This is some kind of underground railway tunnel. What? Hearing the sound of someone or something approaching, Zoe's immediate instinct was to get away. But she couldn't go back into the crash lift. She would be trapped in there, stealing herself. She decided she had no choice but to move on down the tunnel. Perhaps she could find somewhere to hide. But whoever was behind her, they were getting closer. Elsewhere in the underground train network, Jamie had finally come to rest after sliding down the broken escalators for what had seemed like forever. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Rubbing his bruises and trying to get his bearings, Jamie peered into the darkness. He could see a platform and a tunnel ahead. This place reminds me of the London Underground. Oh, I hope there's no Yeti lurking around. He quickly made his way onto the platform, but immediately became aware of a distant sound. Carefully stepping down onto the monorail track, Jamie started to walk along the tunnel. Straight away, he caught sight of a faint glow in the distance. Oh, maybe that's a way out. Bravely, 
Jamie set off to investigate. Bring him here. Move it. Oh, thank you. No need to push. Can I put my hands down now, please? Thank you. The doctor had been brought to the bridge of the ice on ship. He tried to make conversation along the way, but his friendly words had only been met with silence. I'm Captain Seru, the commander of this mission. Oh, how do you do? I'm the doctor. I, I gather you're here to find out what happened to the population. We think you might have something to do with that. <laughs> Do you honestly think I, I looked like I had anything to do with that? Honestly? I don't know. All I know is the population of Isos 2 vanished five years ago, without explanation. So you call this planet Isos 2? Yes. You didn't know that? Uh, no. Uh, uh, please do continue. Captain. About a month ago, energy readings were detected by satellite flyby. And you thought those readings might have something to do with how the population inexplicably disappeared. So you're here to investigate. Uh, I understand. Thank you. You would do well to remember that I'm interrogating you, Doctor. Oh, oh yes. I, I do beg your pardon. <laughs> Please do carry on. Zoe was still making her way along the tunnel. She hadn't heard the sound of the strange footsteps behind her for quite some time, so she'd allowed herself to relax a little. But then, ahead of her, she spotted something glistening in the dull light. Looks like more of those slug trails. Well, how did they get down here? Meanwhile, Jamie had discovered the source of the light. Through an open doorway off the tunnel he'd walked along, he'd found a gigantic chamber. The room pulsed with a low electronic sound that reminded him of something he'd heard before. As he looked around, Jamie realised the walls were lined with something all too familiar. Oh, no. Cyberman containers, just like those in Vaughan's factory. But they're all open. Jamie realised there were hundreds, probably thousands of these cyberpods, and every single one of them did indeed seem to be open and empty. Jamie spun round at the sound. It was coming from the far end of the cyberpod chamber. Perhaps there was a cyberman left in one of the pods, and it was only now waking up. Jamie found himself frozen to the spot in terror. But after a few moments of silence, curiosity got the better of him, and he started to make his way across the chamber. Slowly but surely, he could see a point of light getting bigger as he approached. Gaining in confidence, he started to run towards it. It wasn't long before he could see it was some sort of window up ahead. As he reached it, he came to a halt and dared to peer through. Oh, no! So he did come to the right planet. Through the viewport, Jamie could see the very same cyber escape ship they had pursued in the TARDIS. Now he was sure. The Cybermen were on this planet. Meanwhile, Zoe was busy examining the slime trail she'd spotted. She'd found that several of them led to one large lump of slime that seemed to be growing on some sort of square junction box at the side of the monorail track. Consumed by curiosity, she reached out to touch the slimy mound and... Go no farther! <gasps> what? 
the unnerving, inhuman voice came drifting from the darkness of the tunnel behind her. And then she heard the disturbing, staggering footsteps again. She decided discretion was the better part of valour and started to run away as fast as she could. But no sooner had she rounded the bend of the tunnel in front of her than she found herself face to face with... Cybermen! A patrol of three Cybermen was heading straight for her. Cybermen exactly like the ones she had seen invading Earth only a few days before. Do not move. Zoe froze in absolute terror. She knew there was no point in running. All she could do was watch helplessly as the three Cybermen walked calmly and implacably towards her. The leading Cyberman was carrying some sort of box-like device. With its free hand, it gestured almost gracefully to its two compatriots. These two were both carrying short, stubby silver guns, exactly the same as those Zoe had seen the Earth's Cyber Invasion Force carrying. They raised their weapons... If they fired, there was no way they could miss it. Zoe screwed her eyes tight shut and waited for the end. Jumping at the sudden sound, she suddenly felt a sharp jolt to her arm as something seemed to take hold of her. This wasn't the gunshot she had expected. Daring to look down, she saw for an instant that her arm had been grabbed by a hand. But it was a hand like none she'd ever seen before. Its pale flesh was almost completely covered in a network of plastic and metal wires and circuits. But before she could get a better look at it, the hand yanked her off balance and pulled her into the tunnel wall. And darkness. Completely disorientated, Zoe searched for any point of light. But when she found it, she wished she hadn't. As far as she could tell, she had been pulled into some kind of compartment in the tunnel wall and a single, slim shaft of light had picked out only one detail. A twitching, bloodshot eye, staring right at her. But you see, the thing is, Captain, I don't know anything about the disappearance of your colonists. So you keep saying. And yet an energy trace was detected on this planet. And when we arrived here, we discovered that energy trace was coming from some sort of crate that you freely admit belongs to you. Y yes, I told you. It's my TARDIS. They're there on the screen. And you still expect me to believe that you don't have... Do you have any record of the energy trace your satellite flyby detected? But, well, yes, of course we do. Enab, punch it up on the screen. Uh, but are you sure we should divulge such sensitive information to someone who's obviously... Just do it. The sooner we get to the bottom of this, the better. Without any further hesitation, Officer Enab operated some controls... Immediately, the image of the TARDIS on the main screen was replaced by an undulating pattern of lines. This was the energy trace. And can you superimpose over that the most recent readings you took from my TARDIS? But... 
Captain Seru, I must insist. Do as he says. Very well. Inab operated some more controls, and another completely different pattern superimposed itself over the first one. But <laughs> satisfied. The the two traces are completely different. Inab, did you know this? Well, ah,、uh, uh, Captain, we hadn't yet processed the.、Uh, I mean, in other words, no. <laughs> well, never mind. We can't all be geniuses, Officer Enab. Down in the underground monorail network, Zoe was still staring at that one bloodshot eye. The longer she'd stared, the more accustomed she'd become to the darkness. And now she was beginning to make out more of the figure in front of her. She could see the rough outline of a scarred head, covered in the same metal and plastic patterns she'd seen on this creature's hand. She opened her mouth to speak, but the creature raised a finger to its pale lips, signalling for her to keep quiet. Its head nodded in acknowledgement, and she fancied she saw the beginnings of a slight smile on its face. Then, from directly outside the compartment door she'd been dragged through, Zoe heard. A human cannot be found. Moving out of the cyberpod chamber, Jamie was carefully picking his way through the darkened tunnels of the underground monorail network. Oh, fuck no! Jamie found himself stuck fast in a thick layer of slime. He knew it could only have come from one type of creature, the giant slugs. Where are you, you slimy beasties? You'll not trap me in your trail and eat me for your breakfast. With sheer brute force, Jamie had dragged himself free. Satisfied, there were no giant slugs about to gobble him up. He made his way further along the slimy tunnel. Hey, what's this? Jamie's course through the slime had led him to some kind of junction box next to the monorail lines, but it was covered in a solidified form of the slug slime. Daring to lean in close to the strange, glistening mound, what was that? From some way up ahead, the tunnel was being illuminated by flashes of blue, sparkling light. It was as if some kind of circuit was shorting out. Letting his curiosity get the better of him. Jamie gingerly moved around the curve of the tunnel towards the flickering light. Then, just as he started to make out the source of the flashing, he threw himself back against the tunnel wall in panic. Cybermen. Jamie had spotted two cybermen standing over another slime-clogged junction box. They were aiming some kind of electronic cutting equipment at it. From the device leapt piercing beams of light. It seemed as though the cybermen were attempting to cut through the solidified slime. Luckily for Jamie, so far at least, the Cybermen were apparently too occupied with their task to spot him. But as he pressed himself as flat as he could to the tunnel wall, he was aware that every flash from the cutting device's light was casting his shadow right across the tunnel. If either of those two Cybermen chanced to look in his direction, they'd spot him for sure. Right. Let's say I accept that you're nothing to do with the disappearance of our colony here on Isos Two. Oh, oh yes. Let's say that. 
You're not an Ison. Correct. No, I'm not. Then where are you from? Well, I, uh, I, I originally came from a planet called Earth. Earth? You've heard of it? Well, we know of it. An underdeveloped planet many systems from here. We, we charted it during our many exploratory missions. But the people of Earth haven't yet developed interplanetary travel. Uh, well, <clears throat> uh, perhaps not all of them. Uh, but, but you see, the reason I came here from Earth was to, well, to, to follow the surviving ship from a fleet of invading aliens who'd attempted to conquer the Earth. Invading aliens? Yes. And it occurs to me that those same aliens might be responsible for the disappearance of your colony. Who are these aliens? They are known as Cybermen. After what seemed like an eternity of silence in the darkness of the tunnel's compartment into which she'd been pulled, Zoe was suddenly startled by a flurry of movement from her strange captor. The Cybermen have gone. Oh, are you sure? Yes. Yes, I'm sure. I hear their footsteps for miles. Now I hear them no longer. They have returned to control. Um, thank you. Thank me? I think you probably saved my life. Life? Yes, I probably did. Who are you? My name's Zoe. Zoe. You are not an Ison. Ison? What's an Ison? This is Isos 2. Isos 2? Yes, all of us here were Isons from Isos. A planet called Isos? Yes, we were a thriving colony of Isos. Then the Cybermen came. We came here looking for the Cybermen. Why? To defeat them, somehow. I'm not sure what the Doctor had in mind. The Doctor? Yes. You see, we defeated the Cybermen on Earth. Earth? Then when their fleet was destroyed, one of their ships escaped and... Wait a minute. When did the Cybermen come here? Long... Long ago. And um, what happened to you? In the darkness, Zoe saw the creature's eyes narrow and close, as if in pain. He suddenly moved very quickly, opening the compartment door. Although she knew the light from the tunnel was dim, she still squinted at its stark contrast to the darkness she'd been standing in. As the creature walked away from her, hanging its head low, Zoe could get a better look. Silver metal and plastic was woven over the creature's entire body. His head was encased in a sort of helmet, but with its facial features exposed. His right eye was covered by some kind of dark electronic lens, and on the left side of its head was the unmistakable handle-like attachment of a Cyberman. Did the Cyberman do this to you? <sighs> What's your name? They did this to all of us, to make us all... Like them, something went wrong with me. They left me for dead, I think. All the Cybermen left? Hilsey. I beg your pardon? My name is Hilsey. Well, nice to meet you, Hilsey. How have you survived here all this time? So hungry. I thought, I thought I would starve. But these cyber parts have... Kept me alive. But why did the Cybermen leave? All I know is the Cybermen have returned to Isos 2. That is why I was trying to warn you. The Cybermen have come back, and if they find you, they'll turn you into one of them. 
On board the ice on ship Braxos, the Doctor had been explaining how the cyber invasion of Earth had been defeated. And I managed to find a way to protect some of us from the cyber control signals. Uh, then my friend Zoe uh, calculated the missile trajectories to destroy the Cybermen spaceships. And you think these Cybermen might be here now? Uh, the survivors of that fleet, yes. I, I'm very much afraid so, Captain. It would explain the disappearance of your colony. Because the Cybermen reproduce by converting humanoids into Cybermen. You think that's what they've done to the entire colony population? Well, I, I'm sorry to say that it's a distinct possibility. I think it's highly likely that your colonists were turned into the Cybermen who attempted to invade Earth. That's horrific. I know, but that's the Cybermen for you. You mentioned your friends. Uh, Jamie and Zoe, yes, I, I'm very worried about them. Uh, Zoe got trapped in a lift, which crashed down to the bottom of a shaft, and Jamie and I were trying to find a way to get to her. Uh, what is it? What are you thinking? If your friend got stuck in a lift, she's probably in the old underground monorail network. There's a monorail under the city? Yes, but it hasn't been used for years. They shut the power down when they built the elevated network. Oh. Do you have a map of the underground network? It, it might help me to find Zoe. Punch it up on the screen, please. Aha! Very impressive. Now, let me see. Where are the lifts from that large terminal we were in? Uh, hmm. Wait a minute. What are these? The doctor was pointing at several flickering lights on the electronic map of the underground rail network. Well, that denotes electrical activity. In a network that's been shut down for years. Captain, I think we may have just found the Cybermen. Edging his way along, pressed flat against the tunnel wall, Jamie had managed to move so that his shadow was no longer in danger of revealing him to the Cybermen. Oh, right. Ah, what? He suddenly noticed that one of the large slug creatures was staring him in the face. What are you doing here, you big beastie? You nearly frightened the life out of me. Oh. Completely ignoring Jamie, the slug pushed past him and headed agitatedly towards the Cybermen. No, no you stupid thing, come back. You don't want to be messing with the Cybermen. But it was too late. The Cybermen were already turning to look. Jamie immediately tried to get away back down the tunnel, but his feet skidded across the slug's sticky trail. Uh, uh, Jamie had fallen to the tunnel floor. He found himself wedged awkwardly behind a curving stretch of monorail. Keeping his head down, he watched helplessly as the slug reared up in anger at the Cybermen. With surprising speed, the slug jabbed its head straight into one of the Cybermen, knocking it down flat on its back. <laughs> Jabbing again at the Cyberman, the slug somehow latched onto the Cyberman's chest unit. Jerking its leathery head back, it ripped the unit from the Cyberman's chest. <laughs> you really don't like those Cybermen, do you? A vile, bubbling substance was now pumping out of the wounded Cyberman as it convulsed and shrieked. <laughs> and finally lay still. <sighs> Just imagine what an army of you beasties could do to the Cybermen. But Jamie had forgotten about the other Cyberman. 
and he could only look on in horror as it turned and aimed its weapon at the slug. No! Caught in the fierce crackle of energy, the helpless slug creature didn't stand a chance. Impassively, the Cyberman approached the dead body of the slug and surveyed it for a few moments. Seemingly satisfied that the creature was dead, the Cyberman calmly touched a control on its chest unit. Reporting to control. Gastropod Lifeform confirmed history. When Cyberman destroyed, attacking creature eliminated with no difficulty. Coldly, the Cyberman turned back to the slime-encrusted junction box, picked up the equipment dropped by its fallen comrade, and reactivated the bright blue cutting beam. Seeing that the Cyberman's back was now turned to him, Jamie slowly edged his way back round the curve of the tunnel. Finally able to pull himself out of the slimy trail he had fallen into, he staggered to his feet, brushed himself down as best he could, and headed off in the opposite direction. He had no idea how he was going to do it, but he knew he had to find Zoe and the Doctor and warn them that the Cybermen were here and fast. After the Doctor had discovered electrical activity in the monorail network below the city, Captain Seru had immediately ordered a full investigation. She, the Doctor, and her entire security team had disembarked from the Braxos and had now entered the city. The Doctor had led them to the monorail concourse, where Zoe's elevator had earlier crashed to the lower levels. Seru's heavily armed team was moving with admirable efficiency, checking every doorway, nook and cranny as if something hostile might be lurking there. Very impressive, Captain. Thank you, Doctor. Fan out! I want sentries at all access points! Yes, Captain. Doctor, are these the elevators? Uh, yes, yes, th those are the ones. And I, I wouldn't recommend using them. Okay. Get it set up. Move it. Those members of the security team nearest to the captain immediately started unstrapping equipment from their belts and backpacks. Uh, captain? What is it, Doctor? Uh, perhaps I'd better go down that lift shaft alone. No. Why? Well, if there are Cybermen down there, we, uh, <clears throat> we don't really want to attract their attention. If these Cybermen of yours are down there, this security squad will deal with them. Oh, you, uh, you might want to consider contacting your home planet for reinforcements first. My people here are well enough armed to deal with any threat. Captain, I'm afraid you just don't understand how powerful these Cybermen are. I never underestimate a threat. That's why I recruited the best team I could get for this. Our oh, numbers we are low. We will not attack unless provoked. Understood. We must revive the cyber controller unit for further instructions and continue repairs to the network. These humanoids will all be converted when the systems are restored. Understood. It's... it's huge. 
Oh, no. As Zoe looked around the enormous, dimly lit chamber, she saw line upon line, row upon row of cyberpods. All of them were open and empty. And this is where you woke up? In one of those pods? Yes, long ago. So these were all filled with cybermen? Everyone on Isos 2 was brought here. I remember. They showed no mercy, the cybermen. And they were so strong. No one could resist them. It was horrible. No one was spared. My friends, my family, I still remember them, but... Not their faces. No, not their faces. I... I can't remember their... faces. I'm sorry, Elsie. I'm so sorry. But... But when I woke up, I don't know how much later, they were all gone. A whole army of Cybermen. Gone. But where are they now? Every single pod is empty. Wait a minute. With dawning horror, Zoe had noticed something in a nearby pod. Slowly, warily, she made her way towards it, dreading what she might see inside. When she finally arrived directly in front of the pod, she could see clearly enough. Oh, that's horrible. Like me, Zoe, but dead. Half converted into a Cyberman. Zoe stared in horror at the dead creature before her. Blank eyes stared back at her from the partially formed creature, a mixture of dry, rotted flesh, dull metal and silver-sheened synthetic fibres. Something went wrong during the conversion process. I wonder what. And at that precise moment, the lights in the chamber started to fizz on and off. The lights, they keep, keep doing that. Some sort of power drain. Hmm. In the cyber scout ship, the cyber leader was awaiting a report from his underlings. Two cybermen, sitting at control positions in front of him, were calmly operating controls, constantly repeating the pattern of commands they were entering. Detecting that the actions of his underlings were not having the planned effect, the cyber leader rose from his chair and made a firm sweeping motion with his arm. The cybermen at the controls immediately responded by discontinuing their work at the control positions. The cyber leader then moved slowly to the control panels to scrutinize the readouts. He reached his conclusion. Power flow is not sufficient. He moved his hand to hit the communications button on the top of his silver chest unit. All damage to power transference units must be repaired. Moving coldly towards a screen display, the cyber leader then selected a viewing channel. The screen cleared. There before him was a clear view of three Cybermen of a different kind. All were cocooned in some kind of plastic material and attached to power lines. The two flanking figures had simpler, sleeker head designs than the Cyber Leader. The central figure was larger, with a domed head, patterned with red, jagged lines, and there was no sign of the usual head-handlebar arrangements on this one. It was the Cyber Controller, and it sat motionless, cocooned in thick, transparent plastic dormant. Still not enough power to activate the cyber controller. 
Paratransference units continue to register damage. They must all be repaired immediately. This task is of prime importance. Meanwhile, Jamie had been walking through the tunnels of the underground network. He was determined to find a way to the surface or to rescue Zoe. Either way, he knew he had to find some way to let the Doctor know about the Cybermen being on this planet. He felt like he'd been walking for miles. Along the way, he passed a number of junction boxes, all of them encrusted with solidified slug slime. But luckily, he hadn't seen any more Cybermen trying to cut them open. Now he was exhausted and out of breath. It was certainly very stuffy down here. He allowed himself a moment to rest. Sitting down on the monorail line, he looked around in the gloom, when suddenly... Hey, there's a, there's a light. Some way off, just around the curve of the line, he could just make out a pinpoint of light shining from a small enclosed space. Filled with optimism and forgetting his fatigue, Jamie leapt to his feet and headed towards the light. And as he got closer... It's a lift. Zoe, Zoe, are you here? Reaching the lift, Jamie dashed inside. He was pretty sure it was exactly the same kind of lift that Zoe had got into. Why shouldn't it be the same one? But he could find no clues as to whether or not his friend had been here. And even if she had been... You'll have wandered off and got yourself into trouble, eh, lassie? Zoe! Hey, what's that? The sound seemed to be echoing all around. Fearing it heralded the arrival of more Cybermen, Jamie peered warily down the tunnel this way and that, but there was no sign of any movement. He withdrew into the lift. Maybe there was a train coming along the track. Maybe the Cybermen had some sort of large weapon, like a cannon, that they were dragging towards him. Spotting some buttons on the wall, one of them with an arrow pointing upwards, Jamie frantically stabbed at the control. Ah, oh, that damn thing's broken! Then suddenly, and far too late... It was clear to Jamie the crashing sound was coming from above. He looked up at the ceiling, just in time to see it ripping open, collapsing on top of him. Ah! Before he could move out of the way, several large figures had crashed through the roof and landed on top of him. Shielding himself from the falling debris of the broken ceiling, Jamie tried to scramble clear, but as he did so, he found himself grabbed by a powerful hand. Off me! He turned to see a masked face bearing down on him, the muzzle of a weapon rising to aim at point-blank range.
Before he could move out of the way, several large figures had crashed through the roof and landed on top of him. Shielding himself from the falling debris of the broken ceiling, Jamie tried to scramble clear. But as he did so, he found himself grabbed by a powerful hand. Get off me! He turned to see a masked face bearing down on him. The muzzle of a weapon rising to aim at point-blank range. Hands where I can see them. That's it. Right. Now don't move. Who, who are you? I, you're not... I, I thought you were Cybermen. Been up to Captain Sarah's. We found someone down here wearing some kind of strange... Hey, I'll have you know it's not a scut. He says he thought we were Cybermen. Ah, that'll be Jamie. Hello, Jamie. Can you hear me? Doctor! That was the doctor's voice. Enough, we're on our way down. But there is no way up to the surface. None of the lifts work. There's got to be a way, Hilsey. There has to be. Don't you see? We have to get to the surface and find the doctor and Jamie. Why? Because the Doctor will know what to do about the Cybermen. Well, at least I hope he will. I have never found a way to the surface. The power to the lifts has been switched off. Wait a minute. Power? Yes, of course, that's it. I do not understand. Some of those power lines must lead to the surface. Perhaps we could find a way of following them. Maybe there's some sort of, I don't know, a service shaft or something. Yes, if we could find something like that, we could maybe climb up. I have never found anything like that. Well, have you ever looked? No. Well, there you are then. Come on. Let's pick a power line and see if we can follow it. Come on, Hilsey. Zoe immediately picked out a power line on the floor and heading off into the flickering gloom, she and Hilsey walked out of the chamber. They were soon tracking the line through the monorail tunnel. Wait a minute. Look. What is it? I've seen this sort of thing before. Zoe knelt down to examine a square junction box covered in encrusted slime. She looked further up the tunnel. She could see more of them. And there were slime trails leading from them in all directions. Those slugs have done this. But why? While Officer Enab, now with his mask removed, held Jamie at gunpoint pressed against the wall of the tunnel, Captain Seru's assault force quickly and efficiently lowered themselves down the lift shaft. Finally, the doctor came down too. <laughs> oh, ah, oh. oh dear. <clears throat> ah, that's better. Doctor! Stay where you are and keep your hands up. Ah. This is my friend Jamie. He's not dangerous at all, are you, Jamie? I will be if this fella keeps pointing that gun up my nose. Why does he wear a skirt? Well, uh, why do you wear what you wear? He's from a different culture. You see, it's perfectly normal for Jamie to wear a skirt. Kilt! It's a kilt, Doctor. Uh, <clears throat> yes, uh, sorry, Jamie, a, a, a kilt. Uh, that's what I meant to say. Anyway, where have you been all this time? I've been stuck down here trying to find a way up. But listen, Doctor, I've got to tell you... Captain... Shouldn't we get these civilians out of here as soon as possible? If we're going to be fighting these Cybermen... Ah, so you know about the Cybermen being down here? They've seen them. Aye, I have. There's thousands of... Thousands of Cybermen? No, no, not thousands of... Will you not just listen, Doctor? I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> sorry, 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 Jamie. Uh, go on. I've seen the Cybermen down here. I only saw a couple, uh, and one of these slug creatures killed one of them. Did it indeed? Aye, but I saw thousands of those 
Cybermen containers, like the ones we saw in Vaughan's factory back on Earth, but they were all empty. Empty, I, I see. This seems to support your theory, Doctor, that everyone in the colony was converted into Cybermen to create a force to invade your Earth. Aye, and I saw the ship too, the one we saw on the scanner. So, the survivors of the invasion fleet have returned to their point of departure. I, I wonder what they're planning here. Suddenly, the lights in the tunnel started to flicker. Captain Seru's squad of soldiers immediately reacted, deploying themselves into a defensive pattern, charging their weapons. All right, people. Let's be ready for anything. Seems as though someone is having trouble with the power supply. That'll be the Cybermen. Why do you say that? Well, when I saw them, they were trying to fix one of those box things. They're all over the place. Look, here's one over here. His interest peaked. The Doctor immediately walked straight to the nearest junction box. Like many of the others... It was covered in solidified slime. Oh, my word. What's this? I think it's that slimy stuff from the slugs. They're down here too. Are they now? As if to prove the point, a slug reared up out of the darkness nearby. Well, uh, and what are you doing down here, then, eh? At that very moment... Zoe was making her own investigation of a goo-encrusted junction box. The slime has sort of wrapped itself round the connection, then somehow solidified. Wait a minute. I think I can see something. Something's coming out of it. The crust had cracked and opened up. Inside, there was a kind of soup-like fluid. Sitting in this soup were five or more glistening egg-shaped blobs of what looked like yellow rubber. Could they be eggs? The liquid started to leak out from its cracked surround, dribbling down the sides of the junction box. Then, suddenly... It's shorting out the junction box! And as Zoe and Hilsey were illuminated by the electrical flashing in front of them, the lights in the tunnel started to flicker on and off again. It's interrupting the power flow. Well, if they were eggs, they've been completely destroyed now. Oh, no! Zoe and Hilsey turned to see ten or more of the giant slugs heading towards them, hissing angrily. They're attacking! I've never seen them do that before! They think we've destroyed their eggs! Ah, I thought these things were meant to be tame. Steady, Enab. It just seems to be interested in the stuff on that power unit, or, or whatever it is. Yes, I, I think you're right, Captain. I certainly think it is a power unit of some sort. Watch yourself, Doctor. It, it, it's all right, Jerry. Uh, at least I, <clears throat> I think it is. Uh, there, there, old chap. Uh, no need to get worried. Suddenly, the encrusted slime on the junction box cracked open. Once again, inside, were a number of yellowish, rubber-like eggs. The giant slug moved forward quickly. It lowered its head section close to the eggs, and in the blink of an eye, the rubbery surfaces of the eggs seemed to turn themselves inside out. That's incredible. The doctor could only look on in wonder, as with this simple but ingenious convulsion, the eggs had turned themselves into tiny slugs. Without any hesitation, they slid through the liquid interior of their opened cocoon and onto the skin of the giant slug who immediately withdrew from the junction box and slid off down the tunnel, disappearing into the darkness. At that precise moment... Oh! Oh, my goodness. 
the junction box had exploded into flames. That was lucky. A moment longer and those poor wee beasts would have been fried alive. Yes, yes, Jamie. The liquid in that cocoon seemed to short out the circuits. Once again, the lighting in the tunnel flickered on and off. Captain Seru, Officer Enab and their team reacted again, looking around warily. This must be what's affecting the power down here. The slugs laying their eggs in these power transfer boxes. But, Doctor, this monorail system hasn't been used for years. It was replaced by the far more efficient air cars. And that happened years before the colony disappeared. I see. Then this power must be cyber technology. But what are the cybermen doing with it? Yes, that's the question, isn't it? Inside the landed cyber scout ship, the cyber leader and his two aides were watching intently. On his command, the picture zoomed in until the doctor's face filled the entire screen. This one is intelligent. Captain, we're getting an energy reading. Close by. Energy reading? Well, of course you're getting an energy reading. There are power cables and junction boxes all along this tunnel. It's not that. What is it, Enab? Look, these are the readings we're picking up from the cables. This is something else. The reading strongest uh, up there. On the ceiling? Shine a torch on the ceiling, just there. Yes, Captain. Officer Enab unclipped a flashlight from his belt and pointed it to where Captain Seru had indicated. He switched on. The torchlight immediately reflected and sparkled on a circular glass-like disc. Looks like a, a lens of some sort. A surveillance camera. They're watching us. The Cybermen are watching us. Officer Enab, one shot to that thing. Yes, ma'am. The lens immediately exploded in a shower of sparks. Surveillance camera inoperative internal section 11197. Slowly, three Cybermen who had been standing silently inert behind the Cyber Leader and his aides came to life. They filed gracefully from the control room of the scout ship, down a short access corridor and out of the ship. Two of them carrying stubby silver handguns. Zoe and Hilsey had discovered that the giant slugs who had confronted them perhaps knew they weren't responsible for the destruction of their eggs. The slugs had instead swept Zoe and Hilsey up on their backs and were now heading at speed along the monorail network tunnels. Where, where are they taking us? Perhaps they're going to eat us. I've got a friend who kept saying that. And don't you remember these slugs from before? My memories are so dim now. Well, in my experience, they're perfectly friendly. So no, I don't think they're going to eat us. Are you sure? They could have done that there and then. No, I think they might be taking us to the surface. But how? There's no way up. Well, when we arrived on Isos 2, we found giant slugs on the surface. So I think they must know a way up. How else would they have got down here in the first place? Power levels now registering higher. In 
entering nominal levels. We know that's sufficient power to activate the cyber controller, but um, Giving a sweeping gesture with his long, powerful arm, as if to underline the order, the cyber leader strode from the control room of the scout ship. The two cybermen seated at their stations selected a different video channel on their screen. As the image cleared, they could see the cyber controller and his two aides in their chamber, waiting patiently and moving in their plastic cocoons. As the cybermen in the ship operated the controls, the view of the cyber controller chamber showed the thick cables attached to the cocoons suddenly flicker into life, energy pulsing along them in sizzling electrical bursts. Meanwhile, the cyber leader was entering the controller's chamber. As he arrived, the three figures in the cocoons before him started to writhe and twist. The cyber leader looked on impassively, its blank, dark eyes staring with a total lack of emotion. Suddenly, the cocoons ripped open, and the three cybermen stepped forth in an instant. The cyber leader raised his arm to his chest, making a salute of acknowledgement. After pausing only for a moment, the cyber controller stepped close to the cyber leader. They stood face to face, their blank eyes staring at each other. Then a curling surge of light flickered across the air between their heads. In an instant, it was over. But in that fleeting moment, the cyber leader had transferred all relevant data concerning the operation here in the underground network on ISOS 2 to the cyber controller. The cyber controller then spoke. The doctor is recognized. Meanwhile, the three Cybermen, with orders to destroy the Doctor, Jamie, Captain Seru and her team, were moving slowly and silently through the dark network of tunnels. Their acute sense of hearing meant they could hear every word spoken by the Doctor and his friends several hundred yards up the tunnel. Their augmented vision left them with no need for lights to guide their way. Their approach would not be spotted until they were almost upon their intended victims. The Cybermen will know we're onto them now that we've destroyed that camera. Do you think they'll attack? Oh, it's more than likely, I'm afraid. Then we better get out of here, then. We've got more than enough firepower to defeat them. Have you not met the Cybermen before? You can't just knock them down with your pop guns, you know. At that moment, about ten paces away from them, the three Cybermen stepped from the darkness. Jamie was the first to spot them. Doctor! Cybermen! Turning to see where Jamie was pointing, the Doctor instantly grabbed his Scottish friend by the scruff of the neck and forced him to take cover behind the monorail track. Down, Jamie! Get down! Look out, everyone! Inab and Seru turned to see the silver giant standing before them. Inab drew his gun and aimed it, while pushing his captain aside to safety. But before he could fire, the leading Cyberman emitted a bright glow from its chest unit. The security trooper closest to it, who was in the process of turning to fire, was immediately caught in the merciless glow, his body burning so bright that it seemed to imprint a negative image on the retinas of those who looked on, terrified. Ah! Open fire! Then the entire security squad started firing. Such was the expert training of the troopers that almost every shot hit a Cyberman target. When the searing flashes of the beams faded, Enab squinted to see what he thought would be the fallen bodies of the Cybermen. 
His eyes widened in horror when he realized that all three of them were simply standing, impassive, unharmed, their blank eyes staring coldly at him. Fall back to the elevator! Jamie instinctively twitched to get up and follow the order. The doctor's hand held him tightly on the tunnel floor. Jamie glanced at the doctor and saw his friend shake his head grimly. Officer Enab was attempting to usher his captain towards the lift when the two Cybermen, who'd raised their guns, opened fire. Over half of the security squad had already fallen, blasted to death by the Cybermen. The rest of the squad took what cover they could, behind the low monorail or in small service alcoves. Enap had managed to push Captain Seru back into the elevator. Doctor! Doctor! Do you know of any way of stopping these creatures? Concentrate all your fire on, on one Cyberman at the same time! The one on the left! Concentrate your fire! Continuing their firing, the surviving squad members redirected their beams at the Cyberman on the left. Battered by a barrage of concentrated impacts, the Cyberman seemed to buckle. It staggered back a few paces and dropped its weapon. It's working, Doctor! It's working! But with the firepower concentrated on one Cyberman, the other two advanced. One immediately grabbed a trooper who was taking cover in an alcove. It yanked the man off his feet and threw him across the tunnel, sending him crashing into the opposite wall. He fell dead onto the monorail track. Get that one! But as the troopers redirected their fire again, the Cyberman, who'd previously been knocked back, immediately recovered, picked up its gun and started firing again. Doctor, we can't stop. I know, Jamie. It's a massacre. I can't see a way out. Then suddenly, from behind the darkness of the tunnel behind the Cyberman, a leathery slug's head jabbed at the back of the middle Cyberman. The slug had a firm grip on the back of the Cyberman's neck and, without warning, tugged hard and pulled the Cyberman off its feet, tossing it so high that it hit the tunnel ceiling. Doctor, you take a look at that. The Cyberman crashed to the tunnel floor, lifeless. Yes, yes, Jamie. It seems the cavalry has arrived. Six or more other slugs were emerging from the darkness. The Cybermen swung round and fired at them. Two were instantly burned and killed. But even before their comrades fell, other slugs were jabbing at their Cybermen foes. One plucked the chest unit clean off the Cyberman on the left. Jamie looked on, seeing the Cyberman clutching at its chest as noxious fluid bubbled and squirted from the gaping holes left by the attack, the life draining from it. As the other Cyberman turned to fire at their foes, two of the slugs coordinated their efforts and reared up, slamming themselves down and crushing the last remaining Cyberman. The Doctor, Jamie, Captain Serro and the rest of the team all looked up to see Zoe and Hilsey riding on the backs of two slugs. Doctor, we wondered where they were taking us. What the hell's that? Officer Enab had spotted Hilsey and was already aiming his gun at him. No, 
no, no, no, he's not a Cyberman. He's a friend. A friend? What happened to him? He was here when the Cybermen invaded the colony. They converted all the colonies... The Cyber leader had arrived back in the scout ship in time to witness the defeat of the Cybermen he had sent to deal with the Doctor's party. The Cyber controller was by his side. The old tunnel exits activate the travel pod. Yes, it's as we suspected, Zoe. But can we trust this? He'll see. He could be relaying information to the Cybermen. I am not relaying any information. Well, you would say that. Hilsey saved me from the Cybermen. We both hid from them together. If he were relaying information to them, why would he save me? Perhaps to gain your confidence. Yeah, yeah but perhaps. But uh, by and large, these Cybermen are, are fairly straightforward thinkers, Captain. And if Zoe trusts him... I do, Doctor. Then I don't think we have anything to worry about. I'm afraid I can't share your confidence. Meanwhile, Jamie had noticed something. His foot was propped on the monorail line, and just for a moment, he thought he sensed a small vibration. He crouched down to listen closer. I'm more interested in finding out more about these rather large slugs of yours. What? Well, they were native to this world when our colonists arrived. They have a rudimentary intelligence... They were trained to perform simple agricultural tasks in the rural areas. They're not hostile. Except to the Cybermen. Yes. Do you know why they brought you here, Zoe? We thought they were going to attack us when their eggs hatched and were destroyed by the power lines. Yes, that's right. The slugs are laying their eggs around these power units throughout the tunnels. So we gathered. But why did they bring you here, hmm? Well, I... I don't know... We didn't know where they were taking us. I thought they might know a way up to the surface. Did you want to find Jamie and me by any chance? Well, of course. What are you saying, Doctor? That the slugs somehow knew what Zoe wanted? Well, I, I can't think of any other reason why they would have come here. But you mean, you think they're telepathic? Well, perhaps not in the uh, sophisticated sense, but they, they, they may pick up on certain strong mental impulses. I suppose it's possible. Jamie, what are you doing? I, I, I thought... Uh, I don't know. I, I just thought I heard something coming from this monorail line. Yes. And, and that's the other big question we have to answer. What do the Cybermen want with an underground train network? In the Cyber Scout ship, the Cyber Controller and his underlings were watching their observation screen intently. It showed a view of a sleek silver travel pod moving from a side tunnel onto the main monorail route. Travel pod now activated and on course. Increase speed to maximum thrust. The pod shot faster and faster along the tunnel, like a bullet speeding towards its target. You know, I, I think you're right, Jamie. There is a sort of faint vibration on the track, isn't there? More Cybermen on the way. We can't stand up to another attack, even with our slug friends to help us. No, no, you're, you're right, Captain. I recommend we withdraw to the surface immediately, Captain. We should call ISOS for reinforcements. Doctor, there's another cocoon of eggs about to hatch. Yes, I think our slug friends can sense it. Uh, come on, we better make sure their eggs don't get fried. Doctor, th that vibration is getting worse. 
Jamie looked up to see the small alcoves along the tunnel walls closing up as metal doors slid slowly downwards. The lift entrance, too, started to be sealed by a descending barrier. Doctor, I don't like the look of this. The eggs are starting to hatch. Yes, uh, the slugs must have laid their eggs on these junction boxes because of the heat emanating from them. They must have seemed like the perfect incubators. And it's interfering with the Cybermen's power supply. Here we go. And the slugs clearly know it's about to happen. The walls! They are closing the walls! What? What do you mean? He's right! Look! We're stuck in the tunnel! They've sealed off the lift! Aye, and that track vibration is getting much worse! The Cybermen in the scout ship were calmly observing the increasing speed of their travel pod. A schematic on their screen showed the speeding train as it hurtled along the map of the tunnels as a flashing white light. Ahead of it, at an ever-diminishing distance, was a flashing red blob. This indicated the position of the Doctor and his friends, and it wouldn't be long before the white light collided with the red blob. Our enemies will be destroyed. Look at them. The cocoon had now cracked open to reveal the eggs inside. The soup-like goo was dripping onto the power transference unit, while the nearest slug was already leaning in. A few feet away, Officer Enab was trying to force the panels that had closed off the alcoves and the lift area. Uh, ah! Oh, it's no good! They're locked fast! I can't move them! We'll have to blast our way out! Uh, doctor, th- that noise up. I think something's heading towards us. Yes, look, there's a light. What? That's it, they're hatching. Look out! Come on, there's a train. There's a train heading straight down the track towards us. slugs had slipped onto the back of the nearest adult slug. Once again, the liquid in the cocoon reacted with the power junction, causing it to explode. And as the gigantic silver travel pod threatened to run straight over the doctor and his friends, the power in the tunnel cut off. The travel pod came to a sudden stop. Oh, oh. thank goodness. Well, we're still alive. I thought we'd had it. Aye. So did I. The liquid from the cocoon shorted out the power unit and saved us. Aye. So so those wee beasties saved us. Yes, Jamie. That's the second time the slugs have saved our lives, isn't it? What is that thing? It's not like any train I've ever seen. No. 
It is a rather different design from the trains we saw up in the city. It looks almost, well, uh, yes. Yes, like a spaceship. Hmm? We are still detecting the presence of the Doctor and the other humanoids. The travel pod has deactivated. There is a power failure. Reroot power immediately. Maximum priority. At the Cyber Controller's resolute command, all other Cybermen in the scout ship, including the Cyber Leader, immediately obeyed and left. Now alone in the control room, the cyber controller leant forward, operating the controls. Entering his high-priority command codes, he was able to access the cyber race's ongoing, ever-growing repository of experience and knowledge. He searched for entries relating to the one the Cybermen had come to know as the Doctor. The screen in front of him buzzed and filled with scrolling digital bars and data. From time to time, the picture would clear to depict the flash of an image. Visual data downloaded from individual Cybermen since the emergence of their race. One flash showed a different Doctor, an old man with long silver hair, challenging the Cybermen. Then the Doctor the Controller had recognised from his exchange of information with the Cyber Leader, impish, dark-haired, eyes burning with a shrewd intelligence. There, he was on the streets of a city on Earth, thwarting the Cyber invasion. For a moment, one of the controller's massive, three-fingered hands flexed slightly and very nearly clenched. He immediately transmitted a command over the cybernetic command network. The doctor must be neutralized. Right. Everybody stand back. The Doctor, Jamie, Zoe, Captain Seru, Hilsey and the few remaining security troopers moved back along the tunnel in the only direction they could. One way was blocked by the large silver travel pod that had so nearly run them all over. Officer Enab had just finished setting a demolition charge at the base of the large, solid shutter that had sealed off the access to the elevator. A small red light on the charge started blinking furiously as he retreated hastily to join the others. In seven, six, five, four, three, two... The shutter had been completely destroyed. Oh, well done, Officer Enab. Right, Enab. Get the team back up to the surface as quickly as possible. Doctor, you'd better... Doctor... But the Doctor, hastily followed by Jamie, Zoe and Hilsey, was squeezing his way through the narrow gap between the silver travel pod and the tunnel wall. What the hell is he doing? Doctor, for your own safety, I must... Uh, I'm more concerned about everyone's safety, Captain. Uh, the human races, the, the Isons, uh, ours. Uh, uh, that's it. Uh, no, this looks like a door. Do you think it's safe to get into this thing, Doctor? It's cyber technology, Zoe. Of course it isn't safe. Now then, uh, where's that uh, sonic screwdriver? Should be able to... Ah, there we are. That thing's like a magic wand, Doctor. It isn't a magic wand, Jamie. Just a very clever screwdriver. Now, here, here, let, let me give you a hand. As Captain Seru stood impatiently by, the Doctor helped Jamie, Zoe and Hilsey inside the travel pod. Doctor, we can't risk another Cyberman attack. 
and we can't risk their power coming back on. If it does, that thing will just start moving again, and you'll be taken to goodness knows where. It's very simple. You must do what you must do, Captain, and I must do what I must do. By the way, what are you going to do? We can't get a strong enough signal down here to call ISOS, so we must return to the ship and use the interstellar transmitter. You're going to call for reinforcements? Can you think of a better course of action? As the doctor and friends entered the darkened interior of the travel pod, Hilsey stood stock still, his head cocked to one side, almost as though he could hear something. Well, I, I'm I'm not entirely sure, but uh, but the uh, best course of action is just now, uh, Captain. What? Look, I strongly advise you to get out of that thing and come with. Suddenly, the inside of the travel pod was filled with flickering light. The Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe spun round, taking in their surroundings in surprise. Hilsey still didn't move. Well, well, well. Looks like they got the power back on. The Cybermen. Hadn't we better get out of here, Doctor? It is too late. What do you mean, Hilsey? Doctor, get out of there now! As the door slid shut, Jamie instinctively leapt towards it, struggling to find a way to pull it open. Uh, It's no good. Hilsey, did you know that was going to happen? I... I sensed the mechanisms moving, and now... With a gentle rumble and a slight jolt, the travel pod started to move. Oh, dearie me. Quick! Get off the track, Captain! Get out of the way! Doctor! Get out of there! But as the travel pod moved past Captain Seru and the survivors of her team, they could only look on helplessly. The Doctor and his friends were visible through a large, glass-like viewport on the side of the pod. They indicated soundlessly that they couldn't get out. They're trapped in there. They've had it. That thing will take them straight to these Cybermen. We've got to get back to the Braxos and call for help. Come on! We're definitely going faster. Doctor, isn't there any way you can stop it? I'm afraid not, Zoe. These controls are... It is the cyber controller. Eh? I sense him. He is controlling this travel pod. Travel pod? Is that what you call it? Yes. Hilsey, this cyber controller, he's not... He's not controlling you, is he? I... I feel his influence on me. Why would the cyber controller want to control a train? Well, perhaps it isn't just that train after all. You said it looked more like a... Oh, yes. These controls really do look like... Like the controls of a spaceship. I think you're right, Zoe. This navigational section here... It looks as though the controls are for plotting courses through hyperspatial gateways. Hyper what? Hyperspatial gateways are a theoretical way of travelling vast distances across space, Jamie. Oh, aye, aye. What... I think it's more than a theory here, Zoe. Yes. Look at this display. At the flick of a switch, a small screen glowed brightly on the control panel. It showed a course around the network of monorail tunnels. The Doctor and Zoe moved closer to the screen, fascinated by it. The Doctor traced his finger round the course of the tunnels. It's... it's almost as if it's a giant particle collider. Yes, that's it, Zoe. I think the Cybermen 
are going to use the tunnels as a way of generating centrifugal energy. So the travel pod will zoom round and round, getting faster and faster. And when it reaches a designated speed, it will create a space warp. I wonder if they have any coordinates set. Oh, my word! What is it, Doctor? The coordinates are set for Earth. We're slowing down. Are we going to stop? The controller... The controller is waiting for us. Zoe, you better stand back from your friend there. I don't think he knows which side he's on. Oh, no. Hilsey, you're all right, aren't you? Look, heading off the main track. The doctor was pointing to the travel indicator screen again. The course of the pod was showing up as heading off on a small spur line. Jamie looked out of the window. Aye, I recognise this. This is where I saw that Cyberman ship. Look, there it is. The cyber controller had been observing the doctor and his friends throughout their journey. Now that their travel pod was arriving alongside the scout ship, the controller exited, walking with a determined purpose. And there he is, waiting to meet us. How kind. Aye, I remember him all right. We met him on Tellus in the tombs. Oh, wonder, remarkably. Like him. I, I remember Jamie. That was in the future. Oh, I uh, suppose so. But, but, Doctor, what does he want with this train pod thing? Uh, Jamie, isn't it obvious? Look, the rear section of this pod... It's full of Cybermen containers, just like Vaughn's. That's right, Zoe. I, I imagine they can attach other pods, like train carriages, behind this one. As many as they'd need to form an invading force. Indeed. Well, this is it. The cyber controller was standing outside the pod, directly in front of the door staring with its blank, cold eyes. Then suddenly the doors opened. Doctor, you have interfered with our plans for the last time. Meanwhile, Captain Seru... Officer Enab and the survivors of their team arrived back on board the spaceship Braxos. The captain immediately activated the interstellar transmitter. This is Captain Serra aboard the Braxos. Our investigations here have revealed that the ISOS 2 colony was destroyed by a race known as Cybermen. They are a powerful enemy. I have lost more than half of my total security force in an engagement with them and require reinforcements. My request is for a full tactical task force. With a sweep of its arm, the cyber controller issued a silent command to Hilsey. He instantly responded by ushering the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe out of the travel pod. Standing right in front of the giant cyber controller, they looked tiny and vulnerable. So, uh, what happens now? As if in response, Hilsey suddenly grabbed Jamie and Zoe by their shoulders. Ah! No, 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 don't hurt them! At this, the cyber controller raised a hand and pointed it at the Doctor. From it leapt an elongated spark, which connected with the Doctor's head. He immediately staggered backwards, only stopping his fall by leaning against the travel pod, gasping. Leave him alone! Doctor, are you all right? Keep moving! Hilsey continued to propel Jamie and Zoe away. 
Around them were various open cyberpods and a freestanding control panel. Hilsey pushed them into two of the pods. Clamps locked round their ankles and wrists. You will be converted into Cybermen. No, Hilsey, this isn't you. You're being controlled by the... Silence! You have no choice. I have no choice. An amber light was flashing on the freestanding control panel. Immediately, the cyber controller moved to the panel and pressed a button. As the flashing stopped, a speaker on the panel crackled into life. I have lost more than half of my total security force in an engagement with them and require... The doctor, now recovering, staggered back to his feet, puffing out his force. chest defiantly. You, you see? Reinforcements will be here soon. You're, you're just a, a small force. You'll be outnumbered and destroyed. We want them to come here. What? Oh, no. Jamie and Zoe saw that the doctor looked frightened. They both wondered what could make him look so fearful. He rubbed his face, his eyes darting around, desperately seeking an opportunity to do something, anything. The speaker on the panel crackled into life again. This time it was the cyber leader. All power transparency units are now fully operational. Power will soon reach maximum output. Hearing this, the cyber controller turned his back on the doctor and busied himself at the control panel. A whir of increasing power started to fill the air. And the lighting increased in intensity. It was now so bright, the doctor, Jamie and Zoe had to shield their eyes. For a moment, Hilsey, now standing stock still again, blinked and creased his one human eye. A tear dripped from it and splashed to the floor. Zoe noticed this, but didn't say anything. Meanwhile, the doctor, seeing that Hilsey seemed immobile and that the cyber controller was otherwise occupied, took his chance and stealthily reversed into the travel pod. Once inside, and as confident as he could be that the cyber controller wasn't about to turn around, he set to work at the control panel, his hands darting over the navigational array. Narrowing his dark eyebrows, he frowned intently with frenetic concentration. Now, uh, I can just... Uh... <sighs> but outside the travel pod... The cyber controller began to activate the cyber conversion process in Jamie and Zoe's containers. It turned to look at them as it activated the control. But in turning, it caught sight of the figure of the doctor, frantically fiddling with the controls in the travel pod. Coolly, the cyber controller gestured to Hilsey. Obediently, Hilsey strode towards the travel pod and entered. The cyber controller returned to its work at the control panel. Zoe, Zoe, don't worry, I'll get you out of this. I appreciate the sentiment, Jamie, but how are you going to going to manage that? Jamie tensed his wrist in what he thought was futile defiance, but he was somewhat taken aback by what he felt. Meanwhile, Hilsey strode into the pod towards the doctor. The doctor could hear the approach, but was determined to finish what he was doing. 
In anticipation of the iron grip he was about to feel on his shoulders, he carried on working as fast as he could. When the grip didn't come, he dared to glance over his shoulder. To his surprise, he saw Hilsey standing there, right behind him, doing nothing. Oh. Oh, uh... Hello, uh... Hilsey. Cyber... Cyber Controller has... has commanded your capture. You... your knowledge will be taken and used. Used to defeat the Earth people. Yes, but you... you don't want to do that, do you, Hilsey? I... I don't... don't know. Well, that's... That, that's a start. Uncertainty's a jolly good thing, you know. Without uncertainty, we'd all be just a bunch of Cybermen. What... What should I do? Well, I, I rather think that's for you to decide. But I can tell you what the cyber controller is planning. He's going to wait until all those ice and reinforcements arrive and then turn them into Cybermen, just like he tried to turn you into a Cyberman, like he did to all the people here on ISOS 2. Do, do you remember that, Hilsey? I remember the pain. Meanwhile, to his surprise, Jamie had realised that when he tried to get his hand free from the clamp around his wrist, it simply came free. He tried the same with his other hand and his legs. They were all free too. The clamps hadn't locked. Zoe! What is it, Jamie? Zoe, I'm free. What? Hi, the clamps weren't locked. Let me try... I'm free too. And it won't stop there, Hilsey. Once they've conquered Earth, the Cybermen will convert the population there and then they'll move on to planet after planet. And with these hyperspatial pods, they'll be unstoppable. What? What are you doing? How? How can you stop them? Well, I, I, I'm... Uh... Stop him. The Cyber Controller was suddenly right behind them. At this command, Hilsey stiffened and all the humanity seemed to drain from his tortured face. He grabbed the doctor by the shoulders and dragged him out of the travel pod. Exiting the pod and overtaking Hilsey and the doctor, the cyber controller strode up to what looked like just another container. With his powerful hands, he pulled the giant pod open. Inside were the same clamps as in the others, but this pod contained a kind of plastic skullcap full of sharp metal needles. Ah, uh, going to drain my mind, are you? Well, I shan't make it easy for you. The doctor glanced over to Jamie and Zoe and was surprised to see that both of them were starting to edge their way out of their containers. Unfortunately, the cyber controller spotted the doctor's glance and saw what he was looking at. It immediately grabbed the doctor and issued a command to Hilsey. Stop them! Run, Zoe, run! But what about the doctor? Never mind me. Run! It was at this point that the doctor, Jamie, Zoe and the cyber controller noticed that Hilsey was simply standing, rigid on the spot. Run! I, I find a way up to the surface as fast as you can. Jamie and Zoe hesitated for only a moment until the cyber controller released the doctor and started to run towards them. At the sight of this, they dashed past the travel pod and into the now fully illuminated tunnels. The doctor took his opportunity and darted immediately back towards the travel pod. Conflicted, 
the cyber controller swayed this way and that, trying to decide who to pursue. Then Hilsey suddenly burst into action, following the doctor. At this, the cyber controller strode rapidly towards the pod. Hilsey and the doctor entered it just ahead of him, and the door slammed shut. Meanwhile, Jamie and Zoe had made their escape, but it wasn't long before they came to a halt. Jamie, we can't just leave him back there. But he said for us to find a way up. But what if the cyber controller gets him? The doctor said he was going to drain his. No, it's those beasts again. They really look like they're on the warpath. I've got one final adjustment to make, Elsie. Are you going to let me do it? Look, the cyber controller is trying to force the doors open. I imagine it won't take him long. Well, what will you do? I am doing it now. I'm setting the pod's navigational controls to elliptical coordinates. Once the pod reaches optimum speed, it will create a warp bubble that will explode, vaporizing this entire underground network. Oh. Oh, oh no! What is the is the matter? I can't set it to automatic. I shall have to pilot the pod manually. It will need to be activated. Then the final thrust has to be initiated. You will be here when, when it explodes. I'm afraid so. Yes. You would sacrifice your life to stop the Cybermen. To stop them conquering planet after planet, turning billions upon billions of innocent people into heartless automata like them. I'm afraid I have no choice. My life is already lost to the Cybermen. What are you saying? I have no future. Am I right?、Uh, well, I, I'm afraid that's very possibly true. Yes, I, I'm sorry. I, I wish there was something I could. What if I can make this day the last day of the Cybermen? My life will have meant something. Hilsey, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't stand by and allow you to just. This is the activation button, and here the control for the final thrust. Tell me. You, you must go and help Jamie and Zoe to the surface. This is my plan, my decision, my、uh, well. A sacrifice. I see in your eyes. I am right. These are the controls. No, no. You look here, Hilsey. No sooner were the doors open than the cyber controller was upon Hilsey, grabbing his neck. <laughs> the doctor attempted to help, but a swipe from the controller's free hand sent him flying towards the door, crashing to the floor of the pod. <laughs> you have no choice now, Doctor. Go. Run! Struggling against the cyber controller's iron grip, Hilsey reached back to the control panel and pressed the activation button. Immediately, power surged through the pod, and the doors started to slide shut. Conflicted, the doctor rolled over through the doorway just before the door shut. Ah! Oh! The doctor watched helplessly as the pod moved off at ever increasing speed. He just about caught sight of Hilsey and the controller struggling with each other by the control panel. Jamie, Zoe, what are you doing here? I, I told you to go. We couldn't go without you. What's happened anyway? Was that Hilsey in that pod thing with the cyber controller? Yes, yes, I, I'm afraid it was, Jamie. And if my plan works. When the pod reaches maximum speed, it will explode and destroy this whole underground network. Oh, couldn't you save Hilsey? 
He helped us, you know. I, I know only too well, Zoe. He's sacrificing himself to save us all. The final thrust has to be activated manually. You were going to do that, weren't you? That's why you sent us away. Well, I can't now, can I? And now we're all trapped down here. Not necessarily. Oh, my goodness. Hello. You see, these beasts keep following us. And you said they might have some low-level telepathic understanding. Oh, so I did. I, I, I wonder... The doctor calmly walked up to the leading slug and put a hand on its leathery skin. He put his face close to its head and spoke as softly and kindly as possible. Up? Up? Uh, can you take us up to the surface? Uh, do you know the way? Inside the pod, Hilsey saw a blinking indicator button on the panel. He reached out to press it. The cyber controller tried to drag him away, but with one final gargantuan effort, Hilsey pressed the button. Bracing itself against the increasing speed, the controller threw Hilsey to one side and put its hands directly on the panel. Scanning the readout, it reached the only logical conclusion possible. Destruction of this network will occur in 2019. I have destroyed you! I have destroyed the Cybermen! Narrowly missing the speeding hyperpod, the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe were riding on the backs of three slugs. Turning sharply, the slug sped up a smaller tunnel that rose steeply. The doctor and his friends had to duck to avoid bumping their heads, but it wasn't long before they could smell fresh air. Meanwhile, the travel pod had reached its optimum speed. The hyperdrive kicked in and it entered the warp bubble that had no beginning and no end. The resultant release of energy had nowhere to go except outwards in a gigantic explosion. As the explosion ripped through the underground monorail network, the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe had reached the outskirts of the ISOS-2 city on Slugback. Keep going! Keep going! And the slug sped on, all the way back to where the TARDIS had landed. The Doctor, Jamie and Zoe dismounted, just in time to see... There. The entire city destroyed. Collapsing in on that network. And that's got rid of the Cybermen, do you think? Nothing could survive that, could it, Doctor? Not a hyperspatial explosion. I think you're probably right, Zoe. Yes, I I think you're probably right. And it's all thanks to poor Hilsey. He, he saved us all. The people of Earth and, and countless other planets. Yes. Yes, he did. I, I know, Zoe. I know. Hey, look. Oh, no. Not more Cybermen. No. Those aren't Cybership's, are they, Doctor? No. There's a Captain Cero's reinforcement. 
Oh, but there's no one for them to fight now. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, <clears throat> shall we go? You don't want to stay and tell them what happened? Oh, I think we can perhaps let them work that out for themselves. And, and besides, they ask us a lot of silly questions. Let's lead them to the job of rebuilding ISOS too, shall we? Come along. Doctor? Yes, Jamie? Do you think that's the end of the Cybermen for good? Uh, well... You don't, do you? Do you think any of them survived? Survival is what the, the Cybermen are all about, isn't it? This is a big setback for them, yes. I, I don't think we'll be hearing from the Cybermen for a very long time indeed. Now, no, come along. And with that, the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe stepped into the TARDIS. A few seconds later, the old police box started to make its customary grinding and groaning noise. And a moment or so after that, it was gone. Nick Briggs and I'm the writer and director of the ISOS Network. I think we should explore. But what if there are Cybermen here, Doctor? Uh, well, we should just have to be uh, very careful, shan't we? Now, come along. It's a lovely day and uh, let's enjoy the sunshine and see what we can find. I was very keen to write an early adventure, particularly a second Doctor one, because Patrick Troughton is my favourite Doctor. And a while back, when Fraser and Wendy were in doing Legend of the Cybermen, I shed a tear of nostalgia when they started acting together. That period for me, you know, when I was a little slip of a lad. <laughs> I don't know, it's something, isn't it? When you get to a certain age, you know, when you're in your 50s, remembering those joyous moments from your childhood. I'm Fraser Hines, and I play uh, the second Doctor, played by Patrick Troughton, and Jamie McCrimmon. And you think these Cybermen might be here now? Uh, the survivors of that fleet, yes. I, I'm very much afraid so, Captain. It would explain the disappearance of your colony. Because the Cybermen reproduce by converting humanoids into Cybermen. You think that's what they've done to the entire colony population? Well, I, I, I'm sorry to say that it's a distinct possibility. It was a very long script, and I, and I thought we'd be here for about three weeks, but we, we got through it very, very quickly. Because I think when Wendy and I worked together, we sort of zapped through it, and, we, of course, we've had a great follow-up cast as well. Can we just try the, uh, the last page in a bit again, please? Wait a minute, Jamie. We don't know how long this lift has been out of service. Perhaps <clears throat> just put a, a, a foot inside first, just to test. Well, I'm the lightest. I'll try. No, wait. Sorry, wait. Oh, well, that seems to be perfectly fine, doesn't it? Yes. There's a control panel here, Doctor. Hop in and I'll press one of the buttons and see where... Doctor! I'm always amazed that with Wendy, she walks into that booth and, uh, you know, her voice going from, hello, Gov, suddenly <laughs> suddenly goes, oh, Doctor, I don't think it's the ecological flood. Her little voice goes straight up and it's... Uh, 
if we're doing a scene and then she has a speech, I sort of just sit back on my chair and I close my eyes and it's, it's her in a little sort of long leather suit all those years ago. Hello, my name's Wendy Padbury and I play Zoe Harriet. What I love about Fraser in Big Finish is he does a brilliant doctor. And I was listening to him today and every time, actually, I think he gets better and better. How he talks to himself as a narrator, Jamie and the Doctor, all on the same page, I do not know. But he seems... uh, The more he does, the more he slips easily into it. And I love watching his movements, because when he does the Doctor particularly, he does all Pat's movements, and I can see him out of the corner of my eye in the box. I think it's all down to Nigel Fares, who directed the Helicon Prime. Because originally, when I did it with him, I did the first three pages, just the Doctor being kind of a Doctor voice. And then he said, I'm just going to listen to that back. And I looked at the script and I started to read it as though Patrick and Nigel came through my earphones. Fra- Fraser, Fraser, you sound like Patrick Trout. I said, well, that's what I, I do that when I'm talking about Patrick saying, look at the size of that thing, Jamie. Oh, yes, it is a big one. I should just do the first three pages again with that voice. So I did it and he went, keep it like that. So it's his fault. So um, good for him. Very often it does get pretty... Technical, and because Zoe was an astrophysicist, she tends to get the bulk of the of the cleverness. And um, for me, as I'm not an astrophysicist, I find that very confusing sometimes. Difficult to lift off the page. I love Fraser and Wendy. You know, I've known them for a few years now, and my working relationship with them is is very easy. You know, we've chatted a lot, and um, yeah, it's joyous really. And uh, everyone's a uh, a lot of fun. There's uh, Kieran, who turns out to be a proper Doctor Who fan, was doing a scary impersonation of the cyber controller without any kind of electronic assistance. Uh, that was a joy to behold. <laughs> My name is Kieran Hodgson, and I'm playing Alam and Hilsey. All of us here were Isons from Isos. A planet called Isos? Yes, we were a thriving colony of Isos. Then... The Cybermen came. I grew up without a doctor, which is strange. I, I think I, I was born in 1988, so they, they just kind of cancelled it just as I arrived on the scene. And then Paul McGann, I suppose, would be the only thing that I had as a kid as a doctor. But I watched UK Gold repeats of classic stories, Doctor Who Omnibus, on a Saturday and Sunday morning. I would get up at quarter to six on Saturday, come downstairs, plonk myself in front of the telly and watch three hours of um, Genesis of the Daleks or um, The Mask of Mandragora and that kind of thing. So I feel that I have a very weirdly skewed Doctor Who sort of 70s and 80s sweep, but without without a Doctor to call my own, really. Hilsey. I beg your pardon? My name is Hilsey. Well, nice to meet you, Hilsey. But how have you survived here all this time? So hungry. I thought... I thought I would starve. But these... cyber parts have kept me alive. But why did the Cybermen leave? All I know is... the Cybermen have returned to Isos too. That is what I was... Sorry. That is why I was trying to warn you. The Cybermen have come back, and if they find you, they'll turn you into one of them. Okay, thank you very much. So, uh, Kieran, you can have a rest after that splendid performance. Thank you. 
Let's go on to scene 27. Alam is very businesslike. He's a bit younger than Enab, uh, I think, and he takes things very seriously. But there's a moment where he kind of gets off the spaceship and he's a little, he's quite relieved, keen to prove himself. But he, I mean, there's not much of Alam later on, but I think he's always there shooting very accurately. There's a there's a stage direction that's, that says, so accurate and so highly trained are the um, the ISON troops that they each hit uh, the Cybermen. Obviously, it's no effect, but I imagine that Alam is uh, he's a crack shot. Ah, that's sweet air. Yeah, not bad after being cooped up in that ship. Still picking up that energy reading? Uh, yeah, towards the city. Come on, then. Let's find out what it is. There's a line towards the end, which I've yet to record, but I'm very much looking forward to, which is, I have destroyed the Cybermen! And I thought, that's so fantastic, I get to do that on my very first, or well, hopefully first of a few. I'm Rachel Bavage, and I play Captain Seru, who is the captain of the Braxos, which is an ISON ship. I originally came from a planet called Earth. Earth? You've heard of it? Well, we know of it. An underdeveloped planet, many systems from here. We, we charted it during our many exploratory missions. But the people of Earth haven't yet developed interplanetary travel. Uh, well, <clears throat> uh, perhaps not all of them. Uh, but, but you see, the reason I came here from Earth was to, well, to, to follow the surviving ship from a fleet of invading aliens who'd attempted to conquer the Earth. Invading aliens? Yes. And it occurs to me that those same aliens might be responsible for the disappearance of your colony. Who are these aliens? They are known as Cybermen. Captain Seru is... We're never told any description, so I imagine she's very humanoid. And she uh, is in charge of her ship. They've come to find colonists who disappeared five years ago, find out what happened there. She's authoritative, she's firm. I do wonder if she gets slightly annoyed by her inferior... Enab, but I think they're tough, they're loyal, they are, first of all, very suspicious of the Doctor, and then they quickly realise he's on their side, so they, they want to offer him help. But she's slightly naive in thinking that they can fight off the Cybermen, which makes me chuckle. Doing action on audio is fun but quite difficult because you've got to remember not to knock anything over or touch anything or create noise. And that can be challenging at times, um, but it's it, you know it adds an extra layer. It's the breath, it's the feeling of movement, which is really helpful to the to the listener. Richard James, who I've been chatting to for quite some time, who you know has had involvement in Jerry Anderson stuff and, and knows my friend Jamie Anderson. I thought it was about time to to give him a go, and it's been been lovely, lovely chat. I'm Richard James. And I'm playing Officer Enab. The two traces are completely different. Enab, did you know this? Well, uh, uh, Captain, we hadn't yet processed the, uh, I mean... In other words, no. Well, never mind. We can't all be geniuses, Officer Enab. I do know Big Finish. And, uh, yes, I live slightly outside London. Uh, in a sleepy village in, in Berkshire. And whenever I have to come into town for auditions and so on, Big Finish is always on my iPod. So it was an absolute thrill uh, to uh, be reading a script on the way in rather than uh, listening to an adventure. It's an absolute thrill. In many ways, I've had to leave my fan at the door because, of course, I can't go into the sound booths and bounce off the walls with glee like I'd, uh, uh, I would love to. Uh, so I have to be very calm and very professional. But, of course, part of me is uh, listening to what's going on in, inside my mind and uh, jumping up and down with joy. 
joy at hearing Fraser's wonderful there, Patrick Troughton's second Doctor impersonation, and being in the booth right next to Wendy, it's, uh, it's an absolute thrill for me. Enab is described in the script, I think, as being a ruthless, efficient and suspicious, all of which uh, adjectives, I suppose, could be applied to me in certain circumstances. It's been very interesting playing a military man because it's not the sort of role I, I, I often play. I'm more uh, suited to sort of mild-mannered vicars and doctors. I play sort of quirky neighbours and things like that. So actually to be given uh, a gun, a blaster, even though it's in audio only, and to wield it and shoot it and to shout orders to my team has, uh, has been quite a departure. It's, it's been very good, interesting. My other link with sci-fi is uh, quite an old one now, actually, 20 years ago. Uh, one of my first jobs out of drama school was playing a role in a Jerry Anderson production. It was called Space Precinct. Uh, we did 24 episodes, filmed over a year at Pinewood Studios, and I played a, uh, well, an alien police officer beneath... Uh, sort of six inches of uh, of latex makeup, completely unrecognisable, but great fun nonetheless, as you can imagine. I wanted to experiment with the specific way that Patrick Troughton's stories were told in that latter part of his uh, era, because it's no secret, really, that they were having lots of trouble with scripts, weren't they? And so things were being written quite quickly. So there's great brevity and lack of deep texture to the stories from that particular time, you know what I mean? So they're very simple boys' own adventures, and there's a lot, they're a lot about hiding in the dark and things jumping out and people struggling around and trying to escape, and it's all about peril and, 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 and not so much about complex story ideas. I suppose I did put in a bit of a complex story idea with the sort of hyperspatial what's-it. But um, this story is mainly about yeah, being shot at, hiding, getting away and all that sort of stuff. Do you know what? When I first read it, I thought, this is like a story that we might well have done back in the 60s. This isn't rude, but it's a simple story. It's a very simple story. And it's got Cybermen in it and... Uh, you know, what's not to love. I'm always asked, what's your favourite villain? And it's not Daleks or Icewater. It's always the Cybermen, because to me, they were always taller than us, and their eyes were always just those two dots. There was no emotion ever. Uh, whereas with the Ice Warriors, you know, you could see the, the latex skin of a, an actor's chin. But with the Cybermen, no, they were just motionless. Okay, Are you ready with my ring motion? I am. I'm okay. going to turn it on off. Gotcha. OK, Fraser, yeah. and cue. Then... From directly outside the compartment door she'd been dragged through, Zoe heard... The whole business of recreating the Cyberman voices is quite problematic because... Everyone knows, I guess, that the best Cyberman voices were the Moonbase and Tomb of the Cybermen, but those were done with an, an electro-larynx thing. But Peter Hawkins, who did the voices, got a bit of a headache and I think nausea from doing them because of the sort of vibrations it sets off in your skull. And I've had the same experience using one of these devices. But anyway, the Cyberman voices by the time they got to the invasion were done on a ring modulator at a very odd setting, so they sounded all squeaky, which is the same ring modulator setting I used for doing the Cybermen in the new series, the first new series, Cybermen, not, not the new, new series ones. And uh, so the way to counteract that kind of squeakiness is to pitch your own voice very, very low. So I'm sort of doing that. 
but with the delivery of the Cybermen in the invasion. But as you know, they, they hardly spoke in the invasion. So, got two types of Cybermen, the invasion Cybermen and the Cyber Controller, very similar to the one from Tomb of the Cybermen. Doing scenes with the Cybermen is absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm feeling the uh, the hairs on the back of my neck standing up now as I think about it, seeing Nick in the booth next to me uh, giving his Cyberman, and uh, and to hear that voice over the over the cans is is just extraordinary. Today we're in the studio, and I said to Nick, who who was directing, I said, I think I should say something here because that reminds me when I jumped onto the railway line in the Yeti. I think I should say that, you know, oh, of course, yes, it's the, the web of fear. When his line was. He was hoping there weren't any Yeti lurking around. And I said, it'd be better if I said that. Oh, no, I hope there's no Yeti. Because there are any... Oh, yeah, I've got... So, yeah, I have total recall because it's good... Well, three happy years, you know, you remember the good times, you don't remember the bad times. They always say the Doctor Who family is us lot that were on telly. But actually, this has become a bit of a family now. And it's always a joy to come back. Even though I get tongue-tied a lot of the time. <laughs> 